This episode of Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is brought to you in part by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people on the move stay ready for whatever's coming your way. It doesn't matter if you're on the streets, if you're up in the mountains, DB's gears travel tested. Athletes, adventurers, creators, they're all using it. And over the past decade, they've designed and developed, and they've released, and they've refined over and over and over. So they've got the best bags in the market. They've got this hookup system where if you've got like a smaller bag and a bigger bag, you can hook them together. Super dope uh, for traveling. And uh, you can probably use some stuff, right? Before everything shuts down again, you probably need to go on a quick trip. So order this, fill it up with your crap, Get out of town for a few days, because who knows what's about to happen. We're teaming up with DB to exclusively get you 10% off your next purchase. You just got to go pod 10. That's it. P-O-D-1-0. Go to the link in our show notes. Don't go to sleep, mother. Don't go to sleep. And do me a favor. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Well, what the hell are you saying, Doss? You've lost half your body sleeping. I, I sleep pretty hard. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. We exist to lay waste to the rumor and innuendo about your favorite bands and songs that you've heard. My name is Brian. And hey, I'm Murdoch. Welcome to the show, everybody. It's always a pleasure to have you. And if you're new to the show, welcome to the show. Hey, you can send us an email if you'd like. We are the story guys at gmail.com. You can check out everything we are doing over at wearethestoryguys.com. So last week on the show, we talked at length for the first time about ACDC, which feels like that was a misfire on our part. They should have been earlier than the second 50 episodes. Yeah, I mean, I mean really if you think about as a I mean you grew up in Arkansas, I grew up in Tennessee, like bigger impact than Led Zeppelin, like probably. I <clears throat> there there was like the Waffle House visits, the uh bars you'd be outside of that you couldn't quite get into, all soundtracked by um a couple of power chords. A band very important to you, very important to rock and roll in general, and full of yeah. great stories. And in the research that I did last week, I stumbled upon this story that involves a member of that band. And this story has circulated in rock fandom for a long time, and it, there are a lot of different versions of it. And given that litigating these sorts of things is what we claim to do on this show, I figured this week we could dive into this and see what we can figure out. What we're here to figure out is, did in fact... Geezer Butler of Black Sabbath once pull a knife on Malcolm Young from ACDC. Oh, wow. So let's just look at the setup. It's kind of perfect, right? Two big, loud rock bands, two musicians with memorable names, and just the right level of drama. Because, like, I don't know how you feel about this. I think a knife fight, a little more compelling than a gun battle. Like, there's a little it, more showmanship in a knife fight. It it really is, too. And if you if you listen to, you know, the person who speaks the most in, in about press with Sabbath is Ozzy, of course. Of course. He's the star. But if you listen to Ozzy and what he said, and you listen to Tony and what he said, and you listen to Geezer and what he said, Bill doesn't talk as much about it. But it, it sounds like they had a pretty significant operation of, of cocaine delivery happening <laughs> there towards the end before Ozzy left. And they were and and they and they were glad that they're glad that they made it on the other side of that. Well, you mentioned you mentioned the timing, right? And we're and we're going. It's very important for this story 70s. that we're going to get to. Yes, that in the late seventies, things were a little rough for Black Sabbath. So we're headed there. We're going to talk about that. But to get in the right headspace tonight, I thought, you know what, might be kind of fun. It might be kind of fun to go to Quora.com and just 
type in, what should I do if someone pulls a knife on me? Have you ever used Quora.com? It's like Yahoo Answers. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, I have. Yeah. Quite the place. I, I, but I, I don't think I've ever used it for real clever, practical things like what should I do if someone pulls a, a knife so on me? The masses, it's, it's, the masses have something to say about this. On the internet, uh, the answer to this question is mostly some variation on run. That's hands down the leading advice. But I did find a guy named Philip Wade who answered this question with nine <laughs> options. Okay, are you ready for these nine options? It says yeah, because yeah, because straight up, if if run is the is the option, Brian, that's, that's like mostly I, what everybody said. But I, but I I think already I'm at a severe disadvantage because I think I lose <laughs> I think I lose after about like eight to nine seconds so after I'm caught. Here's here's some other options from Philip Wade. Okay. He says one, don't get into fights, run away. So he he does lead with run. Uh, number two, shoot them. That would mean that you had a gun though, Philip. Uh, number three, prepare to get cut because you're gonna get cut. Uh, number four, if you can find a weapon, like any weapon, something that gives you distance is best, a club or a stick. So I like this idea of suddenly pulling out a, a branch from a tree in your yard to fight off a guy with a knife. Uh, number five, find a knife. Philip's full of good advice. Number six, this was the one I found most compelling. Bleed on them and try to get blood in their eyes. Uh, number seven, get greasy and wet and slip out of their grasp. Sounds like Philip may have something he likes to do in his spare time. It's a little, you know, different. Number eight, if you die, you become immune to their stabbing, and pain is no longer an issue. This this is now just a dead end. And then of, number nine is, unless in the afterlife you wake up in Michigan. <laughs> so what I'm saying here, this is a public service announcement to just remind you, Quora.com is not a place you should actually go to look for good answers. For example, like a great place to get a good answer is my dad. Oh, what's his advice on a knife fight? He told me when I was a kid that if you're if you're running into a situation where there's going to be a fight to if you can hit them in the balls, hit them in the balls or poke them in the eyes, hit them in the eyes. But if not... Hit them, hit them really hard as as hard as you can up underneath your their nose. So you try to break their nose, or at least hit them hard enough to where it it kind of it messes with their eyesight, and then that's when you go in with the balls or the eye punch. So I realized that my dad must have had really a lot of trouble with fighting if he just went that dirty the entire time. It's very different than the advice I got about fights, which was none. Like, we never talked about <laughs> fights, man. No. Can you imagine? We, we, did, we didn't really talk at all, but like but like stuff like that, that, that registered. Because all the time I'm trying to avoid getting my ass kicked the entire time I'm a kid. <laughs> so... I'm like, oh, there's some advice. What is this? Okay. So let's get serious, man. Uh, before we get to answering this question, let's take a look at the two key players in this story. I, I want to just give you some room to talk about Geezer Butler. Go. Once I realized that NIB, the, the Black Sabbath song, was that, was that was Geezer, that was a big deal. When I heard War Pigs, even when I heard like Faith No More do War Pigs, I realized that part of that opening crazy part of War Pigs is 
is really Geezer Butler. It's where it's like John Entwistle, where the the bass player is the the lead guitar player, and at times Geezer feels like he he is that. And they were the original heavy metal band, absolutely. You know why he went by Geezer? No, I don't. No, when he was eight, he used to just call everybody Geezer, like like I call everybody dude. Hey dude, he'd be like hey Geezer, and so people just started calling him <laughs> Geezer. True story. Irish Catholic yeah, British dude. He was 18. He was in a band with this kid he knew from town named John. John Osborne. Later, that guy would go by the moniker Ozzy. Yeah. Butler was described during this period as being, quote, from another planet. He took LSD. He wore Indian hippie dresses. Very peaceful guy. They meet <laughs> Tony Iommi in clubs, playing in different bands. And eventually, they all end up playing in the same band. And we talked about this on episode 18, another Ozzy-centered episode, where yeah, Black were- Sabbath named themselves after a Boris Karloff movie. Yeah, and before they were called Earth. Now, here's something fun. Geezer had been playing guitar in the other bands he was in. Now, you really? just talked about how unique his bass playing is and how it drives, and I think, especially listening to you describe that, I think this plays into that. He was really a guitar player. He claims that what happened is once Tony Iommi joined the band, they wanted this guy because he was cool, but Tony Iommi wouldn't play with other guitar players. He said, I'm not going to share guitar duties in a band, so I'm the only guitarist. So they, this what happened to Geezer is what happened to me when I was in a band and I was the lesser talented guitar player. You learn to play bass. Now, Geezer claims that he borrowed a bass from a guy that they knew. The bass was lacking a string. He went on stage with it, and that was the first time live on stage that he had ever played bass. Wow, that's crazy. And the other thing is some people that are that are listening, if you're sort of familiar with like the, the infamous world of the bass player, <laughs> is that if there's a bass player and the guy is playing and he does not have a pick with him, yeah. it almost immediately means that he's he's speaking with a British accent. <laughs> that the guy that the guy is so much more clever and intelligent around the instrument. But it is true that that people that do play with their fingers, I think it's probably a stereotype, but but Geezer is one of those people who seems like he is a a virtuoso when he plays the bass. And you think it's just because he doesn't use a pick? I, I just think that the rhythms, the guitar rhythms in Sabbath are just so heavy. And really the only thing that is almost dainty or flowery is is Geezer Butler. Now, Geezer goes on to be the Sabbath bass player for most of their career. There's a few hiatuses here and there. He later plays with Ozzy's solo band on and off. Eventually, he forms the non-Ozzy era version of the band they call Heaven and Hell with Ioni yes. and Dio. Yeah. And he basically kind of lives a quiet life. According to Ozzy... Because you said, you know, Ozzy's the guy in front of the press. Ozzy has said Geezer never uses foul language, quote-unquote, which is a very nice contrast to his pal Ozzy, who we all remember from the times we tried to interpret through the beeps what was happening on the Osbournes MTV show back in the day. Remember when that was like a thing? You couldn't yeah, understand uh, anything. Yeah, we beep, didn't know what was happening. Beep, beep. 
Uh, Geezer also a vegan, apparently, since uh, approximately yes. 1994. So he played with Ozzy's solo bands. I, I, it was it was him and, and Zach Wild was playing guitar, and Geezer is as old as Ozzy, and he's out on the road with, with Ozzy in the mid-'90s playing playing with Ozzy's band. And it was great because he kind of disappeared, really. But, I mean, playing with Ozzy really gave him, like, a, a, a bit of a spark. Like, you got to see him on, on MTV and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it, what I'm saying about Geezer, what I think needs to be pointed out, especially for this story that we're headed into, is that, in general, like, especially within a band with Ozzy Osbourne, Geezer's pretty chill for a rock star. It's like, super laid back and has been sort of, like, out of the limelight most of the time. Now let's move on to a brief survey of the other rocker in this fracas, and that is Malcolm Young. Uh, Malcolm, probably not the young brother you think of when somebody says ACDC, but the dude was steady and influential and a presence in the band for essentially its whole existence up until he had to quit in 2014 because of the onset of dementia, which is just heartbreaking. Yes, and people think that ACDC, like in America, people think that ACDC is an American band because people love yeah. ACDC so Well, much. it's funny that you bring that up. This is a slight detour, but there's something I never understood about the Youngs, right? So the band is from Australia, but the Youngs are not Australian. They're Scottish. Do you, do you know what the story is there? How they got to Australia? I know that one of their brothers other brothers or cousins was in the easy beats. That's okay, the only other thing. We're going to talk about that brother that's coming, but this is actually a pretty interesting story. So if you're a listener from the UK, you might know about the big freeze of 1963. I did not. This is not something we learn about in America schools, just like, you know, racial justice, but basically nope. 1963 was one of the worst winters on record in Scotland with snow that went eight feet deep. Super oh miserable. Gosh. Malcolm, really? Malcolm's 10. Angus is eight. His parents don't really know what to do. They're pretty poor his, their entire childhood. They got a bunch of kids. And this intense weather is stopping everything from happening, including working, I think. So they're watching TV one day, and there's an advertisement that comes on that basically says, and I'm just going to elaborate here because this is how I envision it in my brain. Tired of being blown around by the cold? Move to Australia. Crikey. Uh, seriously, it, there was literally a TV commercial that offered to pay to relocate families to Australia. And the Youngs were like, bro, let's go. Picked up 15 members of the Young family, left Scotland, took the money, and in June of 1963, moved to Australia. That's how they got to Australia. Not, not only did you and I not learn about the big freeze of 63, right, number one. But but I I learned one thing I learned about Australia that was completely false. You know that Australia was just this terrible place because that's where people sent all their criminals. And no, I learned that as a, as a I child. I don't think that's that entirely false, but you know, that's also <laughs> this is not a history podcast. That's also the history of America, which no one talks about, is that we also sent all the losers from Britain to America first. That was the whole idea. This whole whitewashed religious right wing BS about, oh, it's religious freedom. We got on a boat and did the Mayflower. We wore the cool hats with the buckles. No, this, they were sending people here that sucked. That was the whole thing. And that's what they were doing. That's what <laughs> the British Empire was doing in Australia, too. It is partially true now i'm not here to do to talk you know extensively about the history of australia but i did see it in the research you know what they did not have in that penal colony and that was an acdc <laughs> power cords 
We, so we talked on the Night Stalker episode about how the young brother's sister, Margaret, was around for some of the big moments of the band. But I didn't know that there was, and you've already mentioned this tonight, there was an older young brother who had musical musical success before his siblings, yeah. specifically in Australia. They were all in a band together in the early 70s called the Marcus Hook Band. Or, no, I'm sorry, the Marcus, Marcus Hook Roll Band, which it feels like the word rock is missing. Marcus Hook Roll Band. There's one album. It's called Tales of Old Granddaddy. Have you ever heard them? No, no, dude, no. I've never heard dude, this. This doesn't suck. My daddy once told me, boy, don't you run out of money. Never to forget to stay away from Frisco. I'm not going to lie. When I was writing this episode, I listened to a lot of the Marcus Hook roll band. Like, it, it sort of sounds like ACDC, even though I, everything I read was like, they didn't sound like ACDC at all. But, like, you can hear the roots of ACDC in this for sure. Yeah, and, and there's now, there's there's new bands that are that are from Australia that are clearly influenced by ACDC and this sort of punk aesthetic. And it really shines a light on the fact that Australia, there's something in the water there that oh, dude. isn't in the water over here or in the UK or in Europe. It's it's just there, and that's why you get, you know that that's why you get these kind of like really kind of metal rock like hard rock bands. Australian from, rock from and roll Australia. is great. Australian music in general is great. Uh, Australian hip hop is great, and I don't know if you pay attention to Australian hip hop, but Australian hip hop is basically like what hip hop sounded like in the early 2000s here. Like it's way more based on like live instrumentation and stuff. And there is some if you like that sort of sound, there is so much good stuff happening in Australia. Very very good stuff happening in Australia. Shouts to Seth Century, S E N T R Y. Uh, he's got some new stuff that just dropped that's great. But that's not what we're here to talk about. If we're going to focus on the two key characters that we're supposed to be talking about, Geezer and Geezer. Malcolm. Malcolm. Uh, to bring the focus onto Malcolm, I think we could take away a few assumptions about Malcolm. You know, he had a big musical supportive family, but they were an immigrant family who never had much of their own. And we also know that Malcolm specifically was always a little more in the background. Now, yeah. As we near Physic- the physically, literally, yeah, very much so, st- stood stood by the drum riser and never moved away from that spot. Both of these guys, sort of in the background, Geezer and Malcolm. Right? We're not talking about Angus right. versus Ozzy. We're not talking about Brian or Bond yeah. versus Ozzy, or even Randy, or even you know anybody. They're practic. They're practically support players with where there's other people who are bigger bigger performers in the band. So let's set the stage and get some context as to the careers of these two bands when this incident allegedly happens. We've already alluded to this. ACDC first. Eventually, the younger two youngs start this thing that they end up calling ACDC. End of 73, they start getting traction within the first six months or so. They record the single with Dave Evans, then they meet Bon Scott, they re-record it. They put out a couple of records to get them a lot of notoriety in Australia. In 76, two of those albums smash together into a release called High Voltage. And they start to become an international interest. They are on the way up. Okay, so mid-70s, ACDC, things are starting to crack. Black Sabbath, on the other hand, 
Remember, the show is supported in part today by the guys at DB, the guys and the ladies, a Scandinavian brand that uh, keeps making these backpacks and these bags that are helping people on the move just like you. You can be ready for anything from the streets to the peaks. That's what they say, right? DB's gear, it's been travel tested. You can check out tons of YouTube videos where people test this stuff and they love it. They love it. That's not even, they did not tell me to say that, but I will tell you. You can hear people uh, talk all about it. Over the past decade, DB has designed and developed, released and refined the best bags in the market, and you can have one. We're teaming up with them to get you an exclusive offer, 10% off your next purchase. Just use the code POD10 and go to the link in our show notes. Black Sabbath, on the other hand, the context of what is happening in that band at the time is a key component of this story, in my opinion. And it's not explained when you read about this incident, the difference and where these two bands are at, right, in, in, in kind of their careers. Things sure. are falling apart in the Black Sabbath camp. Ozzy's bored. He's battling mental health issues. He's actually institutionalized for a bit at the end of 76. And this is when they're making Technical Ecstasy. What's your opinion on that record? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what everybody else thought of it, too, was that. Commercial failure doesn't chart. They launch a tour in the U.S. with Boston and Nugent. And then for the European dates, they meet up with ACDC. So my my God, first, how Boston and Nugent. Can you imagine going to a show and watching Boston open for friggin' Black Sabbath? That blows my mind. That was the most interesting thing I think I read in all of this was just this idea of 76 is when the CBS Records Boston record comes out, the first one, with with basically every song's a single. Uh, and that album, like, I still remember to this day, I'm sure we've talked about this on a podcast we've done together before, but I remember being on a bus in high school and somebody handing me, I think it was Christina, my friend Christina Delgado had for some godforsaken reason, she didn't want it or like it, but in this book of CDs she had, the Boston debut record. And I'm pretty sure the copy of that record that I have to this day is the one I stole from Christina's CD case on this, on this bus trip. And I put it into my Discman. And I just remember being like, like taking it out and looking at the date and being like, this was 1976. Like this sounds so good. <laughs> like that record sounds yeah. so good. And I, you know, of course I'd probably heard more than a feeling and a couple of the other ones, but when you get into the back half of that record. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, it's just unbelievable. So I can't imagine going, watching that band shred on stage and then, it, then the black Sabbath comes out and, and this is what happens in Australia. Right. I mean, things are not good when they go uh when acdc goes on before black sabbath but for more perspective the end of this year is when ozzy quits for the first time and things start to unravel so imagine being the laid-back hippie bass player who doesn't cuss and is quote-unquote peaceful all the time and you're caught in the middle of a bunch of big personalities during what turns out to be one of the most tumultuous moments in the band's history i'm not a psychologist but if i was pretend to be one, I'd speculate that there's probably a lot of tension, fear, and upset ready to come out of Geezer Butler in unnatural ways, lying in wait for the right button to be pushed, and enter the unsuspecting button pusher, Malcolm Young. Enter <laughs> the unsuspecting button pusher. Now, the general rumors circulated... It's a great way of like setting it up, man. I'm ready. Uh, well, this tour... When you read about it, there's a couple things you'll read. One, 
Bon Scott and Ozzy were bros. Okay? They loved each wow. other. Which wow. makes total sense. What a what a disaster oh to be so, a bartender having to deal with the two of them. Oh my god. So if we can side note for a second, since the relative players are are here. Okay, so later Ozzy writes a song, very controversial, called Suicide Solution. Sure. He yeah. T- he tells the press that it's about Bon Scott dying from yes. drinking too much and passing yes. on his car. That's right. So years later, Bob Daisley, who was playing bass yes. with him, says, that's not true. I wrote those lyrics before Bon died. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, and I know almost nothing about Bob Daisley. You probably know way more, but immediately I just assume he's the more reliable source when put next to Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, Brian, Brian. Brian, Brian, <laughs> Brian, Miss, Mrs. Osborne went back and recorded over Bob's bass tracks what? with the bass player from Metallica who had played on those parts. I think, I think it's what? him, but yeah, but yeah, so they, she had actually, she had worked it out where they re-recorded over his bass tracks. Yeah, he, yeah, he, they totally, Sharon totally went in and so they, they really just messed with the integrity. Yeah. So did he continue to play with them or was that the end? No, like he he played he played with them, but then like later here, I mean it, it's been in the relative. I mean the thing that bad is that I'm old now and I can't remember these things. It could be in the last fifteen years, maybe. But yeah, they they re released or remastered those those early th- Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman or whatever. Yeah, and they repla- they they replaced his bass tracks. So wow. Uh- Bon and Ozzy, <laughs> Bon and Ozzy are good. The rest of the band, not so much, and that sets us up for the details of this incident that we're here to discuss. The other thing, though, that we have to talk about is remember how we talked about this on the show in episode eighteen when we talked about Ozzy going missing in the hotel. Yeah, oh, they yeah. they were on in that story. They were on tour with Van Halen, and we spent time talking about how Van Halen was blowing them off the stage. And yeah, and and the the thing the thing is is that. It's so interesting because think about how Black Sabbath got kind of <laughs> sideswiped in more than one occasion with Van Halen or ACDC, like two bands that you do not want to get stuck as support acts. Yeah, I mean, we've talked quite a bit about this. When a headlining act makes that miscalculation and then the stage energy is just all shot. And by all accounts, that is part of the problem with this pairing on the European tour, right? ACDC right. is full of energy and on their way up and, and Sabbath are getting blown off the stage. But early on, they're having technical glitches. Now, shouts to a great piece on DangerousMinds.net about the incident that I'm going to borrow heavily from. I suggest you check out the notes. But at a show in April of 77 in Paris, ACDC had all this new gear that they had bought for the tour on stage. And it starts messing up. Literally blowing up on stage in the middle of a set was it was it the paris show in 77 where they recorded it live you mean the the one that you listened to when or got on the vhs uh right with the the video box yeah i i mean i assume 
assume, unless they went back in 77 and did something else, like I probably would be. Yeah, so, and the, on the, the ACDC Bonfire box set, it it has that show again. So it actually has that released there. So you can actually listen to it on Spotify there for sure. So the dudes are pissed and they just lose their cool and trash all the stuff on stage. And they walk, after, wow. walk, walk out after like 20 minutes. Wow. So when this sort of thing happens, it makes it a little harder for the headliner, right? ACDC on record on that tour as leaving the stage screwed up a lot. Like, this wasn't the only night. So, voila, another reason for these bands to be frustrated with each other. Not only does the crowd respond more to ACDC, ACDC's being disrespectful. They're being sort of arrogant. These guys have brought them out. They're, you know, they're a big deal. I mean, they the last seven years or so have been really good to Black Sabbath, regardless of where they are at the moment that this happens. So, now, like all good rock and roll bedtime stories, over the years, several different versions of of the rest of this story have been propagated. So we're going to start with an account of the incident from the late Malcolm Young. And this is from a 2003 interview. And this is the one that you see brandied about quite a bit. We were staying at the same hotel and geezer was in the hotel bar crying into his beer. He was complaining about being in the band for 10 years and told me, quote, wait until you ha- you are around those guys for 10 years. You're going to feel like us. I said, I don't think so. I was giving him no sympathy. He'd had too many drinks, and then he pulled out a silly flick knife, and as luck would have it, Ozzy walked in and says to Geezer, you idiot, go to bed. Ozzy saved the day, and then I sat up with him all night. So, Oh, my gosh. How, how, wait, wait. Go ahead. So you're saying that Ozzy was the cool-headed bro in this situation? So, I mean, right? <laughs> That's this version of the story, and okay. that's part of the reason this version is a little bit unbelievable, because Ozzy came in and stopped people from being reckless? Like, that doesn't seem no, no, right. No, 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 Everybody chill out. I can't imagine <laughs> this happening. So but okay, I'm, gonna, I'm going with it. Okay. Uh, let's talk about this, though. Do you know what a flick knife is? Do you know that's a British term? Do you know what that is? Is it a switchblade? It's a switchblade. Yeah. Yeah. And sure. You know they they're not allowed in Britain. Outlawed. Yeah, and and I thought as a kid that that they were not legal things to have either, but you could buy them at the flea market. Right. That was always weird. Or or the or you thought you were buying one and it was just a comb. <laughs> hey, yeah. <laughs> Brought a oh, comb yeah, to a comb. knife fight. Uh, yeah, I had the comb too, man. So. <laughs> Geezer's story is that he used to have a switchblade when he was a kid. And since they'd been outlawed in England, when they were in Sweden, this this show is in Sweden. I don't think I said oh, that. So they're in Sweden what? at this point. How how does this how does this occur? Fantastic. Okay. So so they go to Sweden and he realizes, hey, it's not illegal to have these like they're probably out or something, and they see a little booth or a flea market. Who knows? And he's like, oh, I want one of those. And so he buys one for himself. And so this is his version of the story, also from an interview. Quote, I was just flicking it, and Malcolm Young comes up to me and starts slagging Sabbath. This is a 2016 interview. I was just playing with the knife. I was really excited to get one again. I was having a drink. I was flicking my knife like you do. And he came over and said, you must think you're big having a flick knife. And I said, what are you talking about? And that was it. Nobody got hurt. So that's Geezer's version of the story from 2016. Let me tell you what I think about that story. That story is boring. And those are two (laughs) 
very different versions of the story. Like, come on, that's ridiculous. And there are other details in other versions, right? In the book ACDC FAQ, it's alleged that Malcolm started throwing punches. Just last year, and this is fun, Angus Young... Angus Young yeah. was on the Chris Jericho podcast, which, side oh. note, had no idea that existed. And it's actually quite terrific. So, so, go ahead. so here's a clip. But the thing with Geezer Butler was, you know, <laughs> I, I think it was, I think they were drinking one night, and um, I think Geezer was, had some knife or something he was <laughs> flashing out. And, of course, he, he flashed it at Malcolm. Malcolm took it off. You know, because there's the old there's a trick of that getting knives away from people. So Malcolm immediately did did that and held it in his hand. He said, "What are you going to do now?" <laughs> <laughs> so wait, there's a trick to taking a knife from someone. You got to get on Quora.com, man. There's a I was going to say, I need I need to ask that question because I <laughs> I don't know how to take a knife away from a person. That's like Cobra Kai level <laughs> different. Stuff for me. <laughs> so we have a lot of different versions of the same story. All right. Wow, and, that was great, though. Uh, who, who knows what is true? So really, the only thing we could do is make our best guess based on further evidence. And so I'm going to offer you a couple pieces of further evidence. Evidence one: After this incident in Sweden, ACDC exits the tour, and Black Sabbath has to cancel a bunch of shows. So hmm. something happened. Evidence number two: It takes nearly 40 years but I feel like the jury needs to consider this evidence. There is another Geezer Butler drunken bar fight and this comes from louder sound and I'm just gonna read the story because okay. the story has okay the story also has comic book artist uh, Simon Gain. They hired him to draw a picture of this and I want to frame it and put it in our studio. Like, okay, it's unbelievable. So check it out in the show notes. Uh, the time geezer Butler got arrested in a bar brawl by Dave Everly from January 16th, 2019, how dry January and a drunken Nazi got the black Sabbath basis thrown in jail. I am so freaking excited. Okay. One of the most bizarre chapters of black Sabbath's long and often bizarre career came in January, 2015 when geezer Butler was arrested and thrown in jail following a bar brawl in California. Aside from a tweet shortly after he was released that described the incident as quote, unfortunate, the basis has remained tight lipped on what exactly happened that night until now. So they did an interview with him quote. My sister-in-law had just died and I'd gone to death Valley in California to get away from it all. Not just that, everything, Christmas, New Year's, everything like that. I went down to the gift shop in the hotel, and there was this nice Western bar there, and I thought, well, I may as well have, may as well have one before I go to bed. It was the strongest beer I've ever had in my life. <laughs> the next thing I know, this guy starts mouthing off about something. He was like some drunken Nazi bloke. He recognized me, and because I was in the music business, started going on about Jews. Because you know, <laughs> of course... My missus is Jewish, says Geezer Butler, which I love him more for that. My missus is My Jewish, missus. and I yeah. just had enough. And me, my hand sort of met his chin, and I wet My hand, this is a direct quote, my hand sort of met his chin. Unsurprisingly, the bar's owners didn't take too kindly to a bar brawl on their premises, even one involving a 67-year-old heavy metal legend. 
I was about to say, I was trying about to open up my phone to tell you how old he was. He was 67. Okay, great. <laughs> I was absolutely legless at the time, says Geezer, which I think means really drunk. I like that. Uh, I do not know what happened, but one minute I was in the bar, and the next thing I knew I was being arrested. I woke up in jail. That was bad enough, but man, the hangover was horrible. The thing is, is that I always just sort of, sort of assume that he was a party animal, but like I never really heard much about He wasn't. So what's your ruling? What do you think happened? What's your hypothesis? You ever had a switchblade knife, dude? (laughs) No, I had the comb though, and it was fun enough. The comb was fun, yeah. But I, and and listen, it it always happens. I'm like out somewhere. It happened this past weekend. I was camping at, at, camping, yeah, at the Jellystone Park Outside of Bloomington, Indiana. Hell yeah, and I had, shouts. And I, and I had to get a wristband on, and the guy and a guy goes, hey, man, you need me to cut off that extra wristband that's sticking out? And I was like, yeah. And he, like, takes out his knife. And I was like, man, <laughs> I wish I had a knife sometimes. Uh... But, yeah, so I had a switchblade at one point, and then you sit and you just play with it all the time and flick it open. And so I, I bet that Geezer was flipping it open, and I bet that Malcolm got pissed off about it. So that's, yeah, that makes sense. Here's my theory. Geezer Geezer is the perpetual nice guy. He always plays it cool. He internalizes. He keeps the peace. And every once in a while, he explodes. Now, I struggle with this. I do the same thing, right? There can be something that sets me off that has nothing to do with what happens in the actual moment. It's a whole bunch of festering, right? So I get it. I'm working on that. But... Both of these incidents on the record have the exact same ingredients. High stress for a sustained period, things in turmoil around him, expectations to be calm and collected, and then one final snap. Now, my advice to Geezer is to take up running or to go to the gym more because you got to take care of your own mental health, buddy. You got to take care of that mental health. All right? We don't need one more. I mean, bro, you're in your 70s now. You got to bring it down a notch. No more brawls. No more knife fights. No more Nazi punching. As much as we all appreciate that, man. I, uh, you know, I mean, I guess he's retired, right? I saw, I saw the final, final, apparently final Black Sabbath tour. Was it good at that point? It was. It was amazing. It was great. Really, Bill that- Bill Ward wasn't playing drums. They had the um, the drummer from Faith No More was playing oh, with yeah. them. I think yeah. that was right, or is the or it was uh, the guy from Rage Against the Machine because they both played with them at some point because Bill they had a financial issue with Bill or whatever, but no, like it op- they open with the Black Sabbath song, um, like they turned down all the lights and opened with that, and it was brooding and haunting and you know. Uh, it, it was actually really good, and and we got. I was there with my. I was there with. Uh, hey, I was there with our super fan Troy. Really? Uh, and we, Tro- yes, Troy? That's yes, awesome. We we walked up and right. We were there and we walked up to go get a beer and we saw that Coors Light in a whatever you know whatever you get in a paper cup or whatever was eighteen dollars. Oh my! God. And we were stunned by the sign, and all of a sudden the lights go down, and so we took off running <laughs> to get to get into the grass so we could watch Black Sabbath. And we we sent a note to someone we were supposed to meet to say, "Hey, where are you at?" And they responded and said, 
we're next to the people smoking pot, which was a very funny thing because we were at a Black Sabbath concert, <laughs> and and that was that was happening. So, but but I've always loved Geezer Butler, and this is a great story to hear something about you know a side of him I would not expect. So uh, let's end the show with a with a note. You can always email the show if you would like. We are the story guys at gmail.com. We actually did get a note from Troy, who is a big fan of the show and a good friend. Uh, and it, after last week's show, he wrote, uh, a producer once told me about how the Back in Black album was recorded and mixed. They took the mix and played it through a stadium PA and recorded the final stereo mix from that. And that's why the record sounds the way it does. It literally is a big stadium rock album. I have not verified that, but that I believe it literally. Uh, finally, I have a drummer friend who is a huge ACDC fan. And one day he was going on about how Phil Rudd is the most solid for, for timekeeper of all time. And I got really under his skin by replying, well, if you play the same beat for 40 years, you're bound to get good at it. <laughs> get involved in the show. Tell us your ACDC story. Tell us something about Black Sabbath. Tell us something about whatever you want to tell us about. We are the story guys at gmail.com. You can check us out on Facebook. When you look for the story guys, you can uh, hang out at the website. We are the story and check out other projects we're working on. And if you have a suggestion, hit us up. Let us know if there's a story you want yeah. us to look into. We would love to do it for you. Until next time, Mark, what do people need to keep doing? Keep telling stories. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was that? What I don't know. <laughs> Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.